I don't know about you, but I hate working with inadequate tools. Working with inadequate tools is maybe the worst thing that can possibly happen. Like you're going through your house and what you really need is to be able to um, try and screw something into a wall and nowhere can you find the right screwdriver. And so in your haste of trying to get something accomplished, maybe you go outside and take a rock and try and nail something in a wall with a rock and end up bending the nail and frustration follows. Inadequacy with the tools that we use is a terrible, terrible thing. I, I have a really good friend. His name is Justin. And uh, Justin and I were talking recently, and he has uh, reclaimed a bunch of lumber from some houses that, um, that he had access to that were going to be torn down. And, and so he wanted to, to make use of it to, to build some doors in his basement. And, and he said uh, that what he was going to do was uh, to take all of these boards, uh, as warped as they were, and smooth them all out and put them together to make these beautiful doors. The, the only problem is he has not a planer. Now, a planer, for those of you that don't know tools, is this, uh, this device that we run wood through to try and trim it down so that all of the wood is the same thickness. He decided that not having a planer, that what he was going to do was just try and stick the wood together and then use a belt sander in order to try and smooth it all out. What he finds is that it really stinks when you have the inadequate tools. I began to think of situations in our life this week that what happens when we have inadequate tools you see, we're in this series of, uh, of strength for the journey, and what I want you to hear this morning is that if we don't have the right spiritual focus, if our focus or our perspective is wrong, then the, the, where we are looking for to gain strength is going to be no strength at all because it's going to be like an inadequate tool. Think about this. Let's say, uh, gentlemen, that you need a jackhammer. You need to break up a big piece of concrete and your wife hands you a chisel. This is an inadequate tool. Ladies, let's say you're working in your, uh, in your kitchen. And what you need is a food processor. Uh, not one of the little ones, mind you. You need a big one. There's something with real horsepower to it. Something that can grind through, right? Like one of those zucchinis back there in 5.3 seconds. And your husband hands you a knife. An inadequate tool for the job that you want to accomplish. Maybe what you need is a vacuum and yet all you have is a rake. Maybe what you need is an air compressor and all you have is a preacher. I was hoping you'd find that funny. <laughs> Maybe you need a shovel and all you have is a spoon. Maybe what you really need is to talk to the CEO, but all you have is the intern that they give to you. 
You see, the point is you have to have the right tools for the job. And in this section of Hebrews chapter 1, really verses 4 through the end of the chapter in verse 14, the author of Hebrews is trying to say, hey, you have to have the right tool to do the job. You want strength for the journey? Your focus needs to be in the right direction. If you read through uh, 4 through all the way through 14, over and over again uh, in this section of Scripture, it's all about the angels, and, and it, seems, it seems that th there, is a, there is a congregation out there that has misplaced their focus on the wrong stuff. Uh, they've decided uh, that the angels have done some masterful things as messengers, and, and, and it seems that perhaps they've begun to put their faith and their belief in the messenger instead of the message. And so he goes down through and he says, hey, look, gang, the angels are inadequate to do what you need I want to start at the end and work my way backwards. Can I do that? I'm just going to work backwards today. Look at verse 14. Are not all the angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Here's what he's asking. Here's what he's asking. Here's what he's getting at. The angels are merely servants, but Jesus is a Savior. The angels are servants, but Jesus is a savior. You see, what he's trying to say is uh, angels don't cut it when it comes to our salvation. Oh, they've done masterful things. They've been heralds of all sorts of things in Scripture. Uh, they've been servants of the Almighty God. In fact, uh, he sometimes sends them to us. But that's what they are. They're servants and not saviors. Taking an angel to someone who needs to be saved is a bit like trying to take a unicycle to a motorcycle rally. It's not going to go very well because it's an inadequate person, an inadequate being, an inadequate tool. You see, here, here's the deal. As wonderful as angels might be, as all the heralding they have done, they have performed no small tax, tasks, but this that we're talking about is about Jesus. No messenger, no herald is greater than Jesus. Uh, check out verse 5, right? The author says in verse 5, To which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father? Answer, none. Or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. Answer, none. Look at verse 13. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Answer, none, none. God never said that about any of the angels, but he is saying it about Jesus. The angels are servants, but Jesus is the Savior. Here's the bottom line. I need saving. I need saving. I can hear the remark, maybe from some of you, okay, I get it, this is church, we talk about people 
being saved by the Almighty God. But, you know, I'm pretty good. Come down to it, come judgment day, when I have to stand before Jesus, I'm probably going to be all right. I mean, I'm good, for, I'm good to people. I like them. They like me. I go to work on time. I don't steal from my workplace. I'm a fairly ethical person. You know, I pay my taxes. I, I live in my home. I, I pay my mortgage. You know, I'm nice to my wife. I, I don't beat her. I'm fairly nice to my kids. I yell at them once in a while, but who doesn't? I'm pretty good. And so the question becomes uh, your recognition of the fact that you need saving. The question is, well, who is really good? So if we were to sit down and have that conversation, I I might try and frame it like this. Let's say together that God is ultimately good. Can we all agree on that? God is ultimately good. He's the standard of all goodness in all the universe. He gets to decide what good is. And if we were to try and think about good people in our universe, right, we might name some people. Hey, can you name some really good people? And maybe we would think of really famous good people, right? When she was alive, maybe we would think of Mother Teresa. Maybe we think of the famous evangelist, right? who has filled stadiums full of people. Maybe it's Billy Graham. Um, maybe, maybe it's Dave Carlson or Dan Neldeberg, right? I mean, if we had a list, and here's God, uh, we would just say, hey, you know, these people are godly people. They're good. Now, somewhere on there, maybe you'd find my name, just letting you know. But ultimately, what happens We recognize that our goodness is not up to par with where God is. That Billy and Mother Teresa and Dave Carlson and Mike Cahill all recognize something about themselves that you and I need to recognize about ourselves. And that is that ultimately we cannot meet God's standard of goodness. That there's a gap. And for that gap, I need something that's beyond myself. I need something uh, that's beyond any messenger that the world has ever known. Let's think just spirituality for a moment. I need something better than a preacher. I need something better than another philosophy about life. I need something better than Buddha. I need something better than Muhammad. I need something better than any of the world philosophies that can possibly be offered. What I need is to be as good as God. That's what I need. So how am I going to get there? The author of Hebrews is saying there's only one person that will get you there. And his name is Jesus the one who is God and who is the Son of God, who was willing to say, hey, I recognize the gap. I'm going to send my Son to you. I'm going to have him live like you live, be tempted like you were tempted in every way, understand what life is like, the way you understand life, and then I'm going to have him go and die on a cross, and his blood is going to be the redemption for you, and his blood is going to make you right with me. 
You see, gang, what we need is not another good teacher or a good messenger or even a powerful messenger like an angel. What we need desperately is the majesty of Jesus Christ. Because he is the only one that can save us. It's that filthy power that he has that nobody else has. He's the one who makes us right with God. He's the one who can say, I'll make you good with God. You want to talk about tools? Jesus is the only adequate tool to save you and to save me. Look at verse 9 for a moment. He says of Jesus, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He's the one who carries the staff of righteousness. And we need him. Not just to save us for some day when we die or when Jesus comes back. We need him right now. Right? Salvation doesn't just start when I die. Salvation starts right now. Uh, John talks about how I can begin to live this kind of eternal life right now. I need Jesus to save me, to make me right with God, because I can try and try all I want, but I'm not going to get there without Jesus. But the other reason I need Jesus is because I want to live the best life that I possibly can now until, until he returns. I want to live out eternity. I want to live out the eternal kind of life until he returns again. You see, we're talking about strength for our journey, aren't we? And what we know about life is that life sometimes throws us a curveball. This last week, I was, uh, I was really privileged, quite honestly. I, I got to go to a funeral Ty and Terry Schenzel down in Omaha, they did some um, um, remarkable things. Uh, built a Hope Center in North Omaha, and, and they were tragically killed. But I watched as thousands and thousands and thousands, it was like nothing I've ever seen, came and celebrated their life because of how they served Jesus. And I thought, you know, Oftentimes, life throws us a curveball in the form of a tragedy, doesn't it? Uh, maybe, maybe life throws us a curveball in the form of a catastrophe that we have to try and endure. Uh, maybe it's a hurricane or a tornado or, or something that has happened in nature, and, and there's a curveball uh, that comes our way. And, and the question is, well, who can we count on, and who's going to strengthen us when life changes? Are you with me on that? You see, the fact of the matter is uh, we only have to look into our recent past and our recent history to recognize where life throws us a curveball and we're sitting in the pew going, okay, God, wh what's your response? I, I know it seems trite. But his answer over and over and over again is going to be, you can count on Jesus. 
And he tells us why in this text. If you're still following along, look at, look at verses 10 through 12. He, he says some incredible things about the kind of change that you and I are going to experience when we, when we go through life. The kind of tragedy that happens, the kind of catastrophe, the kinds of curveballs that often come to us when we live in this world. He says, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. Notice what he says, though. This thing that God has created, he says, they will perish, but you will remain. They are all going to wear out like a garment. In other words, I have an eight-year-old. What I know about eight-year-olds is they become nine-year-olds. And her pants get holes in them. And nine-year-olds become ten-year-olds and they grow. Eventually, those jeans that she wears, that she loves, are going to wear out. We're not talking about just any other thing. Uh, the author of Hebrews is saying, you know God, the one who created like dirt? And, and like, you know, this is Iowa, corn. Uh, the things that you look at, the air that you breathe, that God? Like, all that stuff is going to wear out, even though God created. No, notice what he's going to say. He says, you're going to roll them up like a robe, like a garment they're going to be changed, but, remember that, there's that word again. Everything that he said before it, he's negating to try and emphasize what comes after. He says, but, you remain the same, and your years will never end. What is he saying? He's saying this, gang. When life throws you a curveball, when there's catastrophe and tragedy in your life, when you need strength and you're not sure where it's going to come from, you need to know this. Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father, and he's not going anywhere. Your strength can come from him. Uh, there's that old saying, um, that question sometimes that we need to ask, has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? Jesus is there and he is stable and he is present. He's not unaware of your situation and he will provide strength when everything else seems to be going awry. When everything in your life is folding up like one of those camp chairs, God is there. And his throne remains forever. We need the majesty of Jesus. When we experience funerals that we don't want to go to, you need to recognize that Jesus is present. When you experience the tragedy of a catastrophe that visits you in some way, you need to recognize that Jesus is present. We have devastation all around us. The things are changing. Uh, we would say they're being rolled up like a scroll, uh, like an architect taking and ripping up plans. This is sometimes what our life looks like, and you need to know Jesus is there, and he stays the same, and he is present always, and he's not going anywhere. You need something more than a good message and a good messenger. You need Jesus What I love about this text, what I absolutely love about this text is that it just simply catapults us into the presence of who Jesus is. 
I mean, it's really about this grandeur of Jesus uh, and all that he represents, uh, his throne that never ends. Did you catch verse 8? Your throne will last forever and ever. Let me ask you about your character. Does it resemble the Jesus that is absolute stability? That is absolute strength? Let me ask you about your home. If I were to sit down with your husband or your wife, and I were to say, tell me how he responds to you when he's frustrated. Would they say, oh, his character shines through? If I were to sit down with your bride, what would she say? Brides, if I were to sit down with your husband and we were beginning to talk about uh, your integrity, the kinds of things that, that make us who we are in our, in our core of our character, would they say that you're more apt to cut corners or that you're as stable as the person of Jesus that we find in this text? His character is impeccable forever and ever. You say, Mike, Mike, that, that, that couldn't possibly be. You've already said I'm in need of saving, and that's true. But if you want to follow Jesus, he says you need to be like me. And so perhaps our character needs to begin to ratchet up Dial after dial after dial. As we live with the kind of stability that Jesus lives with. That our friends could count on us to be the kind of people of integrity. That our businesses could count on us uh, to be the kind of people of character that they can count on. Perhaps... Perhaps as we're catapulted into this text about who Jesus is and the stability of his character and his majesty, perhaps it, it challenges us to set that goal to say, I want to tell others about this person that all of us need saving and it's only Jesus that gets us there. Church, we don't need just another messenger. We need the majesty of Jesus Christ who is stable and strong and in all things is the most adequate tool for the job. You want strength for the journey? You're going to need Jesus along the way. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, thanks so much for your word and how it changes us and challenges our character. And I pray, God, that, that we will recognize the face of Jesus, uh, the person that he is, and, and the implications upon our own life. Help us not to seek goodness on our own, but only through your son, Jesus. We love you, Lord. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.